<clears throat> so different uh, thoughts about the practice that uh, we're doing here. Um, first, I wanted you to know that the candle that you see behind there by the Buddha is uh, a candle that I brought back um, Monday evening from uh, a vigil for the... Um, uh, there was a gathering uh, expressing uh, our sympathy and dismay and concern uh, regarding the death of uh, the killing of uh, the six men in uh, Saint-Foy at, uh, at the mosque there. And so I've been carrying it with me this week because it seemed to make much sense to... Uh, to have them and their family in mind and have also in mind uh, the very dangerous nature of hatred and how uh, one in hatred can uh, lose sight of uh, who's a real enemy and who's not and uh, and you know, fall into wrong, deluded uh, view. And so we're gathered together, uh, a group of people like we are here, just to pause, not uh, be, uh, or not into doing or acquiring, they were into being, into, uh, yeah, they were pausing together as a community and uh, in their own hearts and uh, their life was uh, brutally ended um, yeah so that's uh, what can do the opposite of metta there's actually um, Somewhere here, a list of uh, in the teaching. It says that uh, regarding metta or loving kindness or benevolence, friendliness, goodwill, wishing well. Uh, it's uh, there's three kinds of ways to practice with this. One way is to reflect upon it, think about it, because uh, the Buddha. Uh, says in one in one uh, in the Dhammapada it says uh, what you reflect upon uh, regularly will become the inclination of your mind and so to reflect and to think about it to think about the benefits of uh, of uh, friendliness or benevolence goodwill and to think of the dangers that's one way to one classic way to reflect about it so spend every day a little time thinking about about it there's many ways to think about it and I'll probably suggest a few uh, so that's one action is to reflect upon one other action is to meditate upon so that's what we're doing here we don't want to reflect so much about and we will maybe in the pauses and in the teachings but in the time of practice as we sit or as we walk 
we want to actually med- the meditation aspect is the experience experiential aspect. So it's not so much thinking about oh who's been nice to me, who's been kind to me, what effect did it have on my life? Very important. Meditation is something else. Is an actual feeling, presence or absence of it, like getting acquainted in a, in a more intimate, immediate way. Yeah. So seeing it appear and disappear as I'm doing the sentences, as I'm walking outside, seeing that I'm there, really thinking of this being, wishing them well, and then whoops, empty phrases, which I called earlier. I think maybe a couple of times mudras, thinking mantra. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. voila. Um, so do you see a little bit the difference between reflecting upon and meditating upon? Meditating is a, is a closer to the feeling of it more than the the concepts around it. And um, and then the third practice is to act upon it. So that's the instructions. The instructions is think about it, think about the, how helpful it is then experience it, know when it's there, know when it's present, and see the impact it has when it's there or not there. And then act upon it. Speak from it. When you speak, make sure you infuse a little benevolence in there, or goodwill. Uh, When you act, act from there. And... um, And so there is one way to reflect on it is to reflect on the classic, um, on the li- on on the, the advantages of uh, meta or effects of meta, benefits of meta is the classic list, and on the dangers of hatred. And so, on the dangers of hatred, is uh, uh, hatred is uh, is like devastation. So I'm thinking, as I'm saying this, for me, I'm thinking about what we were just talking about, the, the, the candle and the, the terrorist uh, attack by, uh, by a Quebecois on Quebecois. You know, that's one way to put it. And so uh, the, the function of hatred is to break apart, is, is to, to burn um, when you think of a meta, meta it says it's more for cohesion. Think of a, it's more like watery. When you put water in uh, in flour, suddenly the the flour gets together. It sticks together. Yeah. So it's uh, it's refreshing. If you live in, maybe south, and in, in, uh, you would think of it as refreshing. Maybe here it would be more appropriate because we're not in the Buddha's India. Maybe it would be more appropriate to think of it as warming. It's a warming quality. It's fluid that makes things a little easier, uh, easier to work things uh, out. So just reflection. Think about this. Think of the presence of a little metta, of a little kindness inside your psyche, inside your heart, like right now. If there is that a little bit here or at any moment in the day we're in, we're in silence, if there is the presence of a little kindness, can you kind of touch with imagination or with felt sense 
the, the, the tone inside, if there is kindness in the field, just inside your psyche, and remove any kindness from your psyche or heart. Same situation, you're sitting here in silence or you're walking outside and dry it out. Do you feel, do you, I don't know if you, you can Im imagine the same thing between two people. Imagine you and somebody else you know, whoever it is. Infuse in that relationship kindness, loving kindness, benevolence, goodwill, wishing well. Infuse that. And it might be a beautiful relationship or it might be a troubled relationship, but anyway, infuse in your imagination kindness there. Does it change the feeling tone of, the, of what's there? And if you remove any kindness, dried up from any relationship with your cat, with your partner, with whoever, child or parent, or remove it. And sometimes it is removed. And how harsh and desert-like it becomes, or how it breaks relationships. Same thing in the community. Imagine here this community, so 37 people trying to access their slippers. Infuse kindness in there as everybody's walking out of the room. Infuse kindness in all the soul, souls and hearts. And uh, it's, a like, it's like a fluid. Suddenly everybody reached their slippers, you know, and, and their water bottles, and, you know, and it's fluid remove all kindness from that small little moment of just walking out of the room. Remove it. No kindness. And put instead uh, impatience and hatred. Put hatred there. What would happen after a few hours here in this community? You know? So this is reflecting on the power of that. Uh, and so some of the some of the classic uh, reflections here is in, dan in the, the dangers of hatred you don't know anymore what is good and what is a bad action you don't know what is illegal and not you suddenly feel justified to abuse somebody in hatred and then on the other side you wake up a little confused what happened you know you don't know what is true or false. You think that a man who's uh, teaching uh, ag agro, agro, it was this one of the men who was killed was uh, teaching at Laval University agronomy. So you think that a man who's well loved by their uh, student who spent their whole life uh, trying to perfect the art of teaching and passing on transmitting knowledge is actually a real full-blown enemy that you might, you must and nearly hate. This, this is how anger makes you s mistake what is true for what is false. How uh, an accountant that was invited by the Quebec government to, to work for the government in Quebec is suddenly the most horrible enemy that must be killed. In, in, in uh, hatred, this is what happened. You really start to believe 
something that is absolutely false, has no ground whatsoever. You think that a, a cheerful uh, uh, grocer who has a grocery, who has a big smile and loves his community, is the absolute enemy. You must eradicate this person before they kill you. Completely mistaken. So confused. Deep confusion and anger and uh, hatred. Multiplication of enemies. Risk of making several mistakes, big mistakes in, in uh, hatred. Lose one's dignity, lose one's friends. Uh, risk of losing appetite, sleep, sanity. Uh, pay fine, get uh, punishment, get arrested and fall, uh, become prey to confusion, torments of the mind, regrets and uh, remorse, agitation, shame, uh, and all the rest. These are the effects of hatred. On the other side, classic benefits of metta, or kindness, People who practice kindness, experience it, value it, develop it, they tend to sleep more peacefully, wake up more peacefully, dream uh, peaceful dreams. Uh, People tend to love them, feel safe around them. Uh, Angels, that's the classic list, love them. And angels protect them. It says here, poisons and weapons and fire don't harm them. Their complexion is beautiful. So they glow. Like somebody after the Buddha's awakening, apparently they met the Buddha uh, by the river, and they said, who are you? What what is something? You're you're glowing, man. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm translating from Pali. There's something about you. Are you a human being or are you something else? And the Buddha just said, I'm awake. My heart has been freed from confusion, hatred and greed. It doesn't, cannot stick anymore. You know? The heart is now radiant as it should be. Uh, and it says, their minds are serene and they die unconfused and unscared. So, just a few ideas for reflections here. And so, uh, the practice of uh, loving-kindness, so reflecting uh, on it, recognizing it, recognizing it in self when it's present and also when it's absent, recognizing that it's not there, to taste it. So it's not in a judgmental way. This is the practice of mindfulness here. Of the quality of presence we develop in, the, in this practice is non-judgmental. It's accurate. It's critical critical as in intelligent, discerning maybe is a better word but it's not judgmental so if there is absence of, uh, of benevolence some kind of friendliness then one could recognize it not judge it not say I'm bad, I should feel like this but oh, absence of it let me be curious about it let me feel how it feels in the absence of it 
And when it's presence, not present, not to own it, not to identify and define, I'm a good person, I'm so good. I'm so, so good. I would never, never experience things like you described. You know? And so we're invited to stay attentive. And when it's there, to, uh, to become interested in, it, in, its, uh, in its aliveness, in how it's operating, what, it's, what impact it's having on ourselves, on the mind, on the body, and on the relationships, on the views, even in the, on the perceptions. Because in hatred, perceptions are altered in a certain way. And in loving-kindness also, we see, we tend to be more available to notice the good in people. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, that's the investigation, the exploration of, uh, of that quality, the presence of it, the absence of it. And we can do this in life. I really enjoy becoming sensitive in life to beautiful qualities such as metta, but other qualities as, such as generosity, all the, the qualities that hang out, tend to hang out with, uh, with uh, kindness. So when somebody is kind, I like to notice it. You know, when somebody, I don't know, around here they might hold the door or hold space in the f- door frame. Instead of coming in, they might just hold back, you know, in their like, they were about, to, but they see you come and they just hold back so you can go through. You know, just to notice, wow, there was consideration, there was generosity here. And just see the little impact it has on the mind, how the mind suddenly feels, I feel seen, I feel considered, or I feel safe. To me, that's often how it feels when I'm in the presence of good qualities in other beings, is my system relaxes, feels safe, I feel like I can be who I am, that I count somehow that I, there's something about it that I find it doesn't need much just a little and I can feel the rippling effect uh, so being attentive in this way uh, by small gestures uh, so the Buddha's instructions around mindfulness like around any other mind state is be aware of it internally and externally so see it in action in others. See how it, inf- it, it impacts you or others. How it impacts the field. You're in a meeting and it's tense and somebody comes and says, hey, it's hard for us to understand each other. Let's, let's just take a break, a moment here, and just see, look, hold on, what do we have in common here? What, we're looking for a solution, you know? And suddenly the whole, you know, and one is still resisting, but... You know, but it, it can really have an impact, an, an effect, a positive effect. Yeah. One story that uh, I just thought, that's why I ran to get my computer, is I thought about this, um, you might have heard this uh, poem, is a well-known poem from uh, Naomi Shihab Nye, who's uh, f- American, but from uh, Palestinian uh, descent. Is that the way to say it? Des- descent? She has a, a couple of poems. I might read both. Uh, one is called Kindness, but the other one is called... Uh, uh, what's the actual title? Wandering Around uh, an Albuquerque Airport Terminal. I don't know if you've heard this one. So it's worth... It's, it's, a, it's a storytelling poem. So it's worth... Uh, 
you know, getting comfortable, maybe closing the eyes, as, as you see fit, but I'm just saying it has some uh, beautiful length to it. And so it's on the effect of uh, kindness you'll see. After learning my flight was detained four hours, I heard the announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. Gate 4A was my own gate. I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian dress, just like my grandma wore, was crum crumpled crumbled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight service person. Talk to her. What is her problem? We told her the flight was going to be four hours late, and she did this. I put my arm around her and spoke to her haltingly. Shudowa, shubiduk, habiti, stani, stani, shway, min fadlik. The minute she heard any word she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought our flight had been cancelled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for some major med medical treatment the following day. I said, no, no, we're fine. We'll get there just late. Who's picking you up? Let's call him and tell him. We called her son, and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and would ride next to her southwest. She talked to him. Then we called her other son, just for the fun of it. <laughs> Then... We called my dad, and he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had ten shared friends. <laughs> Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took up about two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling about her life, answering questions. She had pulled a sack of homemade marmol cookies, little powdered sugared crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts, out of her bag and was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the traveler from California, the lovely woman from Loredo. We were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There are no better cookies. And then the airline broke out the free beverages from huge coolers, non-alcoholic. And the two little girls for our flight, one African-American, one Mexican-American, ran around serving all apple juice and lemonade, and they were covered with powdered sugar, too. 
And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green leaves. Such an old country traveling tradition, always carry a plant. Always stay rooted somewhere. And I looked around, around the gate of late and weary ones, and thought, this is the world I want to live in, the shared world. Not a single person in this gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, has seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies and wanted to, I wanted to hug all those other women too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. So metta, as goodwill, as uh, wishing for well-being for another, in a way that is not um, doesn't have as a center um, this, the reference of me and my people, me and those I know. It's not like this. It's a recognition of life of the fragility of life in all its forms and a caring for life. What's beautiful about it also, about what we're doing this weekend, for me is this... So, for us this weekend, it becomes the path. It's the exploration we're doing, the exploration of, of kindness in all its different flavors and size and intensity... And uh, so it's the path. And it also happens to be the end of the path in Buddhist, uh, uh, Buddhist thought. So an awakened heart is, is, is that what's the result of deep wisdom? The result of this deep wisdom is just that. Caring, friendliness, compassion, joy, all these forms of metta capacity to rejoice for somebody's well-being uh, and the capacity to care for somebody's well-being when it's absent. And so it's the path we're taking this weekend, but it's also the end of it. I don't know, there's something about it that I like. I can't explain it exactly. particular aspect I've pointed to a few times now is the aspect of gathering the mind around that quality, either in silence or in repeating, uh, in being, uh, yeah, in repeating the sentences and the, the wishes. And so I want to talk just a few more, to say a few more words about this, about what, what happened, what is this gathering of the mind? Why would one want the mind to be gathered? So when the mind is gathered in a wholesome way, like around uh, such a feeling or attitude as, uh, as friendliness, what happens when the mind is, begets, you could say, almost uh, 
suffused with kindness, suffused with a caring presence. So again, it doesn't have to be like, oh, love. It could really be about taking a fork in the fork dispenser thing and really being really there and caring about what's happening. That there's hand touching, that there's hand lifting and putting down. And if you put down the fork on the plastic tray, then there could be something of a presence there instead of being scattered. This is what I mean by scattered, like I'm doing it physically, you know? <laughs> you know? But a gatheredness, like a, a knowing where I am, knowing where I stand. You know, if I'm taking a cup, I'm taking a cup fully, full presence. Yeah. So in that, what happens is some doors close. They're closing. What doors? The door to greed, wanting something else, believing that it's somewhere else, that it's happening. That door, when it's open, it's painful. Because you're like, I'm here, but it's, I want to be somebody else. I want to feel something else. I want, I'm going to be somewhere else. I want to, you know? And when you're totally there, that door closes. Ah, that's a rest. Ah, fully here. It's not somewhere else. It's here. It's full here. Life become rich here. Otherwise, I'm, I'm having an experience. I'm cultivating, maybe training my mind to have a... To, I'm building, creating lack. It's, it's somewhere else. It's somewhere else. It's when I get to the food. It's when I, don't know, get that job, have a partner, whatever it is, you know feel different than I feel now. So there's an inherent, like, frustrating mechanism of lack that is uh, suddenly closed. I'm fully there. I've practiced. I've dedicated myself. And this happens in continuity. That's the secret also. So you want to tune in here. What is the secret? Is gentle uh, not abandoning. Gentle offering oneself again to the practice here during the weekend. So just keep at it as much as you can. Every time you're lost, just come back very gently. Don't make a story about it. Just gone, gathered, found, present again. And this, over hours, will build. And in this way, this, you'll, you'll, you'll notice how the doors will st start closing for a little while here and there. So one door is the door of that it's somewhere else, that it you know, door of like um, desire that is hooked you know, it's not a vision of where I'm going, it's like it's somewhere else it's not here, it's when I'm back in my room, when I'm laying down when, I'm, when it's finished, you might think this how many hours left before I'm happy well, honey that's deluded, you're not going to be happy when it's finished because if you came here, you were not happy to start with and it's not going to happen with, you know, when it's finished. <laughs> it's going to happen when you'll be free from that belief, you know, and when you'll be able to meet exactly what is happening here. Ah! Oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> don't believe me. You were not called to believe anything here, but check it out. So that door closes when I'm fully present and caring. The other door that closes is the opinion that it sh something shouldn't be. So if I pay attention, I might actually uh, 
let go of some of the resistance, non-acceptance, uh, fear, hatred. Uh, they're all in the same kind of basket and actually meet what is there and do with it. Do answer, respond to what's there. You know? So, uh, going from hating a situation to actually engaging with it because it's there anyway. Engaging with it, saying... And the engaging can take many forms. It can take, I'm actually don't agree with this. So instead of hating it, I'm actually going to go in and use my agency or abilities or whatever I have to transform the situation. So it's a different stance. And so when I'm present, instead of being like, even like vaguely aversive, you know, like, I'm here, I don't really want to be here, it's not like I want to be somewhere else, but I don't think here, but I'm not even conscious of that, you know, because I'm not that conscious. And so by paying attention, by really being here, as for me, I lift this, and I give full attention to the experience, either f physical touch or sound or both, suddenly there's, there's something, it becomes simple, it's full, I don't need something else. I don't need to reject what's there. I can meet it. Uh, agitation lowers down. Maybe that door closes. I'm not agitated anymore. Like too much energy, you know. Suddenly there's just enough energy. It's here because I'm plugged in. I'm tuned in. And I don't also have too low energy. Like oh my god, I have to go back to the hall. You know, <laughs> I'm assailed by the idea of the hall and. 40 minutes sit or something if I'm actually just stepping stepping that world dissolves it's not a problem anymore and there's no lack of energy there's just stepping stepping and suddenly I'm sitting and there's just sitting and breathing and et voila you know I don't need to be somewhere else I don't, so I don't I, and you might experience it and sometimes it's just for a few seconds as you're walking or as you're sitting suddenly there's no more problem of energy because the mind is engaged with reality. It's caring, caring, metta. It's caring about what's happening. It's meeting it. And the f more the meeting is full of presence, engaged, the more all the energies inside uh, organizes. Energy organizes. Suddenly the mind it gets quiet and engaged, but not too much energy that I get extra discursive, not too low energy, that I'm like, what, what's going on? What, what do you mean? Pay attention. You know? So, and how is this built? I cannot like put all the blocks together myself. I just pay attention. I pay attention, or I offer the phrases. I keep offering the phrases to the best of my ability. And all these little things are happening, and at some point, uh, another door that closes is the door of uh, doubt. What am I doing it here? Should I do the phrases or the breath? Or, you know, or, you know, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. Like, I'm, I'll be busy. <laughs> like, all the doubt, these, I'm talking about difficult mind states, you know, that we're often entranced by them. Could be the whole weekend here, like, oh, I don't know if I should be here. You know, I'm not sure. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. I'm not sure. Nothing gets done because I, I'm taken under the spell of doubt. That's, that's a sorry state. You know? 
And so what's the antidote? What's the suggestion? Is don't believe so much in the doubt. Just feel your toes. Feel your hands. Pay attention to what's there. Care for what is here now. Care for the breath. Or if you're doing the sentences, let go of should I, should I not, should I do this one or that one, should I be here at all, you know, just pick somebody and blast them with love. <laughs> very simple. Even if your blasting is very messy and uneven and you forget completely about the person every 30 seconds, <laughs> when you drop them and you figure it out, you drop them, pick them up. Don't... Uh, don't, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's okay for me to give this example, but Jack, my teacher Jack Cornfield, sometimes used this example. It, it makes me laugh. He says, just do like Julia Child does in the, in the famous uh, TV show, you know? At some point, she's like manipulating some, you know, the lamb, you know? And she drops the lamb and she just says, look, if you're alone in the kitchen and you drop the lamb, just put it back in the dish. <laughs> Nobody will know. <laughs> so if you're doing metta and you drop somebody that you're supposed to care for so much, you know, you forget them and you get obsessed with something else, you notice it, just pick the person up again. And by doing this with continuity, with humility, not abandoning, not forcing, not judging, not adding anything, but just simply going towards the simple task when you forget and seeing if you can stay with it, stay with it, the mind will gather. And when it will gather, it, some doors will close to difficult emotions. This is a good way to live. It's a good way to live. So that you'll learn a new way to live. That when you're, uh, I don't know, in free time, laying down in your bed, you don't have to follow all your thoughts all your scary scenarios and, and all your thoughts about your worthlessness and this and that, you can just pay attention to the breath and care for that. And you learn for yourself, oh, actually I couldn't go in that direction. Like I, I know it's fascinating how you know, horrible the rest of my life is going to be. or you know, It's really fascinating, but I'm actually not going to go there. I'm just going to stay here Maybe pick somebody up, think of someone, and just gently send them wishes of well-being. You can even do this with people who are here. You know, when you're in the, you know, if you know, I don't know if you know somebody's in this room next to you that might be there now. Whatever you know, you could just think somebody else, wish them well, or to yourself, and just see. What, what's good in there for you. And it's not like you, can, you won't be able to think about your stuff anymore, but maybe you'll be able to choose which stuff to think about and which don't, that don't need any attending to. And you might also be able to go in these thoughts or in these areas of your life with kindness instead of worry. So be well accompanied. Something that could become a best friend, you know.
So this quality of presence, this caring presence, and this closing of these doors, yeah, it's applicable. It's going to be useful in so many situations in life uh, where we... There's many beautiful situations where we'd like to be there, and often we actually are not there because we're busy wanting to keep it or worrying in some ways, you know, that, this, oh, this thing, I love it so much, I have to do it more, and, you know, and you can't actually totally uh, be there for what's beautiful in your life because you, you've been, you've, the mind has been trained to be scattered. And so that's why we, partly, that's why we do this here. So when something beautiful happens, you can actually be there. Some, something beautiful happens, you can actually stay, stay around and feel it. It's just one funny example jumps to my mind. I hope, again, it's okay to share. I have a friend with whom I've uh, uh, trained as a teacher, and she, uh, she ended up uh, teaching her dharma in the context of relationships and uh, sexuality. And uh, a couple of years ago, I just ran into one of her talks, and she was, uh, she was talking about... Uh, in, I, th- I think with uh, with depth, but also in the funny way at that moment and that I she was she was saying like oh my god when I used to make love before I started practice it was a mess I was always like what do I look like I should be more like this I should do that and she said, I couldn't actually I was not I was occupied I was preoccupied and it was not satisfying and it, there was no you know and the more I practice the more I can actually be fully there for what's happening. And I'm not into judgments about myself and figuring out and wanting to be somebody else and wondering how I look like and how, you know, and all this. I'm more free. I can actually be there in the act of making love. And it's good for me. It's good for the other one, too, because I'm I'm there, you know. I'm not like, hey, you know. So that's just one application of this uh, beautiful, uh, if, you, you know, if you're lucky enough. To <laughs> I'm joking. I hope it's okay to say that. But so that's one area, but there's so many more. And similarly, if I'm in a difficult situation, instead of being occupied by my thoughts about how it should be and it should not happen and something else should be happening and I resent that this is happening, I could actually have my full... A view and ability to actually meet what's there, and if it's there, some what's there is, then I can answer. I can, I can, I can care for what is there instead of being occupied by what should be there, should have been there. You know, I can actually meet what's there. For me, many of you know that story. Maybe, uh, for me, there was a turning point in my life, as some of you know. I've been living for more than 20 years now with uh, HIV. And uh, for a number of years, I, I despised that situation. I didn't like being in that situation. I mean, it was deeply scary, especially when it, uh, at the beginning when there was no medication and stuff. It was very disturbing and stuff. But at some point, it was, uh, you know, medication came in and everything gets stabi- stabilized and I got somewhat of a basic uh, immune system back and things were a little bit more in, in order and in control, you know. And But still I was spending a lot of time wanting the other life without that. You know? And if there was not that, I could 
do this, and if there was not that, you know, the different aspects of it, the stigma of it, the, the, the you know, the taking drugs, the organizing drugs that at that time needed to be refrigerated, and it meant a bunch of headaches, and, you know, the side effects, and this and that. And so there was often this, I was caught a lot, occupied by the other life, which was a complete fiction, it didn't exist. It was a mind-made creation that I thought was beautiful, it was fascinating, but it was also not there. It was also inexistent. It was, it was, uh, was mind-made, and it was actually take, keeping me away from the life that was there. And one day, I was in retreat like this, and I was gone like this, and maybe the bell rang, or the teacher said something, or somebody sneezed. Something got me back in the present moment, and I realized, I became really conscious that, oh, you know, I'm, dis- I'm, I'm, I'm not meeting this life, I'm not caring about this life, I'm caring about s- some fantasy, my own, you know, fantasy, and I'm giving a lot of time to that fantasy. It doesn't exist. There's something about that. Actually, it happened a few times in my practice where I thought, oh, actually, I want to care about this. I want to befriend this life. I want to learn how to be a friend to this medication and these side effects and to be attentive, to care for this being in this life. And I decided to kind of commit to that life, to... And in, in many ways, after I still, I mean, that particular, I think there was a renunciation, renouncement, renunciation. Mm-hmm. Like I, there was an abandonment. Suddenly that fantasy was kind of a dead end, as one of my teachers would say. Like I recognized that, that was not useful. So that went. But there was many other ways that I would get busy with thinking. And a number of times I'd come back and thought, like even thinking of me is a way that I abandon life. There's life happening here and I'm busy thinking of a certain me. You know, like I'm creating a me, Pascal. Pascal is like this and he's like that and what's going to happen to Pascal while life is happening. The more and more I practice, the more I find that movement violent, dismissive. There's something really unwise about it, about taking off with a certain Pascal obsession and living there in a world of stories while life is actually happening. To me, it seems more wise, more appropriate, more of an appropriate response to actually be here in the middle of what's happening. Especially then when I do that, I usually read situations better, deep, more deep, deeper than my kind of assumption biases, presupposed ideas, wants, shoulds, you know. If I let go of a bunch of these, I can actually meet what's happening. And usually, I'm more appropriate, it's more, it's beneficial for me and others. So all this is about caring, caring about what's happening. My sense now is that there's not one aspect of my life that doesn't, is not worthy of great care. Is not one aspect, so it's not uh, my relationships with anybody, my participation in the system or systems. You know, 
is worthy of great care. So what is great care? It's benevolence, goodwill. I want to check. I want to know if I'm going into that field of waiting for the subway with benevolence or with annoyance. You know, because I know for the health, even physical health of this system, it's so much better if there's <coughs> fluids, that fluid is in there. You know, stress reduction, you know, ease, joy also is often in, in that field, you know. So it's not so much what's happening as much as how am I meeting it. There's a switch. It's almost like, you know, it's like the movement of continents. It's a slow shift over 20 years of going from the situation to how I'm meeting the situation. It seems like it's more important how I'm meeting the situation than the actual situation. Like it took years to make that shift that I think is wise because many situations I'm not going to choose you know I'm not going to control and so but maybe there's something that I can train about how to meet uh, what's happening <laughs> be it loss crumbling appearances things appearing gathering together or separating transforming in the ways that I want or in the ways that I don't want, my, the quality of my presence, my care, is going to have a, a great impact on my experience and probably the experience of others. So two little, uh, last little things that I'll bring here to end uh, the talk. Um, they come from two uh, colleagues, um, women that I, that I have the, had the chance to teach with and uh, are also teachers because of their wisdom. So um, on a retreat, I think it's a couple of years ago, in both cases, um, we were sitting in the meditation that's down in Massachusetts and Leela Kate uh, Wheeler great teacher you can look her up later if you want you can listen to her on Dharma Seed um, she was uh, talking about the uh, what's the name of the flower I think it's Udumbara flower. She said, I don't know if you know that in all the Buddhist stories and legends and things like this, there's uh, one flower that is, I think it's the Udumbara flower. And it's, it's said that this flower appears, like blooms, appears and blooms uh, only once in every expansion and contraction of the universe. And when it does, it makes a strange sound. <laughs> <laughs> no, Melanie, there's nothing you can do. I know this one. 
It's going to last for a couple of minutes, I think. It's the <laughs> furnace. It usually always starts during the Dharma talk. It's always, it's always a moment like, like this. It's a, always an interesting moment. <laughs> and so the Udumbara flower, in the whole expansion of the universe and the contraction, I don't know exactly how long that takes, but it's, it's, it's beyond my scale. Of, like, it's beyond my intelligence. Like, I cannot. So it blooms only once and it just appears in space like this. And it's a very, it's a unique happening. It's a unique color, a unique scent. It's a unique thing happening. And, and then it lasts for a little while. And then, as everything else, it vanishes. As everything else, it, it vanishes. And so I think Lila was saying this, And we were sitting in meditation, and then she said, what if the Udumbara flower that was taking shape in the whole story of the universe once only was this actual moment that you're experiencing? That actual moment. It has all the characteristics. That actual moment here of us here now is going to happen only once in the whole expansion of the universe, in the whole contraction of the universe. Only once will this gathering, and even this particular moment, only once. How do you want to meet the Udumbara flower blossoming? What's the best way? Where's my camera? Melanie! Give me my phone back. The Udumbara flower. I need to take a snap. You know. And improve it with the filter. <laughs> Which one? I don't know. Should I take this one or that one? <laughs> Is that the best way to meet the Udumbara flower? You know. One, maybe you decide. But for me, I would want to actually be there. Pause. Pause. Pay attention, give full attention to this ephemeral event. And I think that later in the retreat, at some point, Leela said, and what if you were the Udumbara flower? If your whole few decades of blossoming and a few more decades of drying up If you were the Udumbara flower, how would that be deserving of careful attention and maybe awe and respect and, you know, not owning anything. You can't own something ephemeral that is born in the universe. You can own and what would be the point to judge it? Allow it to be there and see if you can meet it skillfully, carefully. So that's from the old Buddhist tradition and as, as offered by Lila. And then the last one, which is we're in the same field, it's uh, Martine Bachelor. Martine came, to, she lives in France, France 
and she, uh, we invited her to come and teach here. And so uh, together we taught a retreat uh, a couple of years ago, I think now. And uh, Martine is very, she has a, she's, I think she was a nun in the Korean Zen tradition for a decade and decades of exploration. Really a very interesting mind, very, very, very investigative, very curious mind. And she, during the retreat, that's kind of a parenthesis, but it might be interesting for you. During the retreat, she kept coming back with um, the great question. That's not the point I want to make, it's something else, but I think I may as well. She kept talking about the great question in uh, Korean, in, in Korean Zen. She the great question in Korean Zen is, what is this? What is this? So it's a, what is this? <coughs> what is this? Kind of an invitation to pay attention, to discover it. What, what is, even if you do something habitual, what is, what is this holding a piece of wood? What is this? What is this being me right now? What is, what is this fear? What is this joy? What is this? Like a freshness in the, so she kept coming back with this, the great question, the great question, what is this? So that's her practice. Her practice is always to ask, what is this? What is this that I'm feeling? Not to explain it with words, but to answer with presence. Do you see what I mean? What is this is not to put words and concepts on. It's what is this that leads to silent listening. What is this between us? Oh, it's misunderstanding. Oh, misunderstanding. Let me feel that. Oh, it feels heavy like that. Misunderstanding. Wow. What is this between us? Oh, intimacy. Let me feel that. Care. Let me feel that. Disconnection. Wow. Let me feel that. And at the end of the retreat, and that's the point, at the end of the retreat, she said, Oh, just before you go, by the way, there's also the great courage in uh, Korean Zen. We have that practice of the great courage and because it was the end of the retreat she didn't, couldn't give a long teaching around it but she just said for me great courage is the courage to love myself and not postpone that the courage to love myself now in this way may I love myself fully right now just as I am and I had two waves. The first wave was like the great courage. Oh, how amazing. It's to love myself. I was a little disappointed. It's like, oh, love myself. <laughs> but it lasted just a few seconds. And then after I, I listened in, and I was like, wow, it's true. I think I must agree with this, that it takes great courage, great kind of leap of like, I'm going to abandon my views about myself, you know of how I'm undeserving or how this or that. And I'm actually going to take this great courage to love myself and just see what's going to happen. <coughs> if everything's going to fall apart or if, you know, if I really need hatred of myself to keep things going and keep things together, you know, I'm going to have this great courage to abandon that, that I've cherished and, you know, and just 
do that? I don't know. It seemed uh, to me it was definitely something I remember over the years. You know, that teaching stands out. That invitation for great courage. So let's just take a pause here now and uh, just feel what's there. Discover the Udumbara flower blooming now. in these few words there was some some little thing some little thread to inspire uh, practice or reflection to, to inspire some change of uh, views of how we hold something this practice that we're doing uh, here this weekend uh, help disentangle the tangles of the heart help liberate the heart so that we can enjoy the liberation and also be able to uh, be a, offer protection care and safety become safe for others you so much for your practice and your consideration um, <clears throat> little uh, announcement thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate